0: Welcome to another episode of Talking About PHI, featuring me, Katherine Vahey, and Sue Chamberlain. When it comes down to it, PHI is about your health, but sometimes navigating the healthcare process is difficult, especially if you're not feeling up to par. Today, we chat with Jeannie Austin. She shares her gripping and eye-opening lupus journey and what it taught her about patient advocacy.
1: Hi, good to be here. I guess it has to do with my health journey and it's pretty long starting back from 1983 until today. And all the things that happened and, you know, to me and what I learned and, and a lot of things that was sort of eye-opening, sometimes a little shocking, but it all brought me to the point where when I speak to people about patient advocacy, <laughs> I um, I think there's so many things that I, you know, a long time assumed that people would know and even by now and even to this day, I'm like, wow, if you could really help yourself. And just by talking to other people and the information that I give them that can make the journey for yourself a little easier and you can navigate through it a lot better. I guess the best way to start is Let me go back to 1983 and I'll try to make this brief. I was about maybe a couple of years out of college and I started to present with these strange symptoms, strange rashes, low-grade fevers, body aches. And for someone at the time, I was about my early twenties, I, the doctor, and they would say, "Eh, it's the flu. You just take care of yourself. Oh, it's a sore throat or something. Then at one point, I really started to feel strange. My mother was working as a medical technician and, um, and spoke to some of the doctors there. And they said, well, to bring her in for some uh, labs. And when I went there, they said, something seems off. The labs weren't, just weren't looking right. So they, they, they recommended that you go to a topic in New York City of, wow. I saw that he was dealing with cancer patients. It, it's not like today, you know, a lot of people can survive it. So I was so nervous and so young and sitting in that office. When they finally I took the labs, well, you know, she's just anemic. And you just need to, you know, fortify her iron. I was like, great. Oh, it's not cancer. You can get through it. But weeks were going by and my mother was getting, taking beet juice, cherubim, anything to fortify the iron, get the, my, build my blood up. Then we moved to uh, 1986. I moved to Florida. And I was there not even a year when the same thing started happening again. Went to the doctor, same thing again. You probably have, uh, you know, cold or something. I started to feel at one point so weak. I mean, it feels sometimes like I'm lying down, I have a refrigerator on top of me, the, the the pain and the weight. I talked to my mother, she could sense there was something wrong. And so she came down to, to Florida and she took me to a clinic and she said, I think you should take these uh, laptops. She, she was a phlebotomist also, so she knew which lab tests that they should focus on. The doctor comes out and he says, you need to take her to the emergency room right away. And he said, he doesn't understand how I'm even standing. He said, my blood count was so low. It was dangerous. He goes, you have to take her now. Went over to the hospital. We we're looking at each other. My mother, she never heard of it. And I said, okay, what's the medicine? What's the cure? And he said, there's no cure. I I didn't even know how to process that. It's not cancer. Again, I was back with cancer because that was the, the the worst thing back then. He said well, we can give you some steroids and uh, the best thing to do is rest and stay out of the sun. I'm thinking I'm in the sunshine <laughs> state. Uh, the steroids, at first it's great and then you feel the side effects of steroids. A few months later, I started to feel really ill again. So went back to New York. I should say back in Florida, they all said that my kidneys start to look a little compromised. And so there was that on top of the lupus because the undiagnosed lupus from the time from 1983 when they should have done the test to see, they sort of missed that. And at that point, that's when I had the huge lupus flare and everything went wrong. My system was shutting down. My kidneys were working only 40%. By the time I left the hospital, the doctors said, you may have one to two years before if your kidneys completely closed down and shut down. It was just shocking. Walked into the hospital. I left in a wheelchair. Back at home, as I started to recover with the help of my mother and my parents, Thank God. And my family sisters helped me get through this. And by the time I was back on my feet, I started to think, I said, is there anything I could do to get my kidneys working for a little bit longer? Maybe medicine will catch up with me if I can keep it there. And there might be some better options. Because the only option would be a dialysis and then a transplant or possibly one or the other. This is pre-Google. So I went to the library and I started to look up information. And I started to look up some, you know, stories and some People tell me they use some uh, holistic medicines, some natural health care. You know, I need to eat a certain way. I need to change things. What can I do to, to sort of optimize my, uh, my body to do what it needs to do? I kept doing that for many years. And by doing that, just looking up information and changing my diet, optimizing my, my uh, body. But by 1997, my kidneys failed and I was on something I call peritoneal dialysis. So I was, that's a home dialysis it's good not as strong as the uh, hemodialysis but at least i was able to do it at home and then in august 6 1998 my sister catherine saved my life and donated her kidney that was the most wonderful day i was also you know worried for my sister because she's my younger sister they did all the tests and everything to make sure it was okay i've had this wonderful gift of life for 23 years that's just Beautiful to feel the difference before not having your kidneys working to having a transplant. It's like coming out of a dark cloud. It's it's like suddenly the, the, the sun seems brighter. You just feel so much better. Thanks I, again, Kathy. Remember, <laughs>
0: you're welcome. And I remember the doctor said I gave her a mega good kidney. I might say that was the, <laughs> that was the quality kidney
1: and it Blair still is. Game.
0: But going back to your story, the interesting thing was throughout your journey, there was a lot of time wasted. There was no answer. So it kept going on and on and on. And so so if, if, if we could go back in time, how does patient advocacy help? What can someone do to say? these are the problems i'm having how can i help do we do we have to keep track of them now you have the internet you could right. i know the bane of every doctor's existence is when webmd <laughs> so everyone comes in and says i know the cure but what would you say if you could go back in time and say okay you you had this long journey if you could do things differently in terms of helping practitioners and physicians better understand you because it was almost, it was almost like seven years that you started your journey of like, I feel terrible to, okay, my kidneys are blown. I've got this lupus. Maybe I shouldn't have moved to Florida. If I had known I wouldn't be in the sunshine state, you could have stayed in New York because originally you were, you were from New York and maybe that had you know, the cycles of of cold and not so much sun could have helped. But anyway, what, what are your thoughts on that? And then maybe, Sue, maybe you can have a, if you have a question about, you know,
1: that as well. When we went in to see the hematologist and he said that it was just anemia, like I said, I had that little feeling inside that something was wrong. Even if a person uh, doesn't understand, doesn't have that feeling, but you have family members or friends seeing that you don't look better. You have to keep pressing it because everything, the, the, the earlier you go and you catch something, the better, 100%. This is across the board for everything, every disease, every illness. I remember speaking to a, a nephrologist and many, many years ago, he said, you know, he said, if they had caught this early, he goes, it wouldn't have been that bad for you. You would have known what to do. You would have very little medicine. He goes, it didn't have to come to this. You know, I, if I had known that I would have pressed it. I would have said, let's go to another doctor because that other doctor could have been the one that caught it early. It would have been as simple as that. So, you know, never just never just leave things hanging there. Just order, you know, for yourself, if you have that feeling, or if there's a family member that still sees, like I said, you know, it's, you don't look quite right. You don't look yourself, you know, keep moving, keep going to another doctor. Don't feel, you know, it's funny, long time ago, I remember back in the years, once a person chose a doctor, it's like they had to, it was, like, had to stay with. They would say, My doctor, my doctor. No, he's a doctor, <laughs> this doctor you're seeing. But at any point, you can leave. If this doctor is not doing what he's supposed to do, if he's rude to you, if he's not answering questions, if, he's, if you do ask a question, he seems very aggressive, you leave. You find another doctor. But it, it, it was strange. Everyone was like, you know, because even the doctor I was seeing at the time in the hospital in New York, he was, that was a very strange man. And he, I don't think he did the right things and but everyone was like oh, you know, yes it says don't you know that's your doctor but <clears throat> I find that today there's more of a conference and they all come together whenever they have negotiated patients so they're going to see during the week and they seem to be not as strict about that it seems to be a little bit better where they'll talk to another physician so it's not just that physician with that case and nobody else is touching that
2: so yeah I, I will say that you had two things going to, for your advantage, but the big thing was that not everybody has is your mother, who at least understood some basics of healthcare and right. had that insider. And there's so many people that don't understand that. And that's where they've got to come back on the gut and to listen to yeah. your gut, just like you did. Because, you know, people start to think I must be paranoid and the doctor told me it's just a cold or the right. doctor told me, I mean, I, I will tell you, I, I had a little incident with my husband where I noticed he had this huge redness on his leg mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen it for a while. It was wintertime and he finally had taken his long pants off and I saw one leg was swollen and red and hot. And I'm like, you have cellulitis. And so he couldn't get into his own doctor. So they sent him to a urgent care that I knew the doctor. I'd worked with them with that physician. And my husband went in and said, my wife thinks this is cellulitis. And that's all the doctor needed to say, yeah, no, then it couldn't possibly be cellulitis. So there's so many times that the physicians are used to people showing up with supposed knowledge out of the internet, like Kat had mentioned before, but the guy didn't even look at my husband's leg, the physician. And he just said, ask your wife, whether or not she switched laundry soap, that's got to be it. And of course, you know, when I try new laundry soap, I always only wash one leg and not the other of a pair of pants. So, you know, that totally makes sense that one leg had a reaction and the other one didn't have one at all. So he was not treated the way that he needed to be. And we went yet another day before he got the antibiotics and that type of stuff he needed. And because of the delay, he ended up in the emergency room with an IV antibiotic. Again, with what you're saying, even sometimes having somebody with that medical background, you've got to just keep pushing. So awesome mother and awesome to uh, listen to your gut.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's the important thing that I think that's one of the important takeaways that somehow we have to articulate to people, not only do you have to listen to your gut, you somehow have to articulate the urgency to either your health care physician or your healthcare provider or this, whoever is your advocate because some people are not good at asking questions right if you're that person that when you get into and some people see a doctor as a figure of authority right so if you are the type of person that when you go into uh, um, a situation where that makes you nervous you should bring someone with you it's okay nice. right you can say mm-hmm. this is my person that's coming in because she's going to help me get through this exam or the first part of the exam and she's going to help me ask question or he's going to ask you know and so this person becomes you know the person that can help ask all the questions and and a lot of times when you're when you're not feeling well okay because there was a incident you know here you have Jeannie, who's like this she's a super patient in terms of Prepared. She has. She knows all her medicines. She takes them. She puts them on a schedule and and uh, makes sure she takes them on a, a, a you know time based uh, approach. But there was a moment in her health that she had another health crisis. That you know when you're going through something and you start getting on heavy medication and you start feeling bad, even the strongest person needs right. someone to be a voice because you kind of get clouded in your mm-hmm. head in terms of, you know, because your, your body is struggling with, hey, you're feeling pain, you're feeling fear, you're tired, whatever they're radiating hurts like hell, Right. So all those things. So so it's always good to consider having an advocate. And so it's either a friend, it doesn't have to be a family member, find a friend, but be honest with them and say, hey, you know, I need some help. Could you come with me to the doctor? I have a lot of questions and and I'm not just feeling myself. And sometimes I forget because nothing is worse than leaving the doctor's office
2: and saying, dang it, I meant to ask this, this, and this. And, and as an HIM person, I will say, having sat in on some office visits and then looking at the documentation, you can't always just say, I'll just get the medical record after the fact, because it still probably won't contain everything that was discussed, everything that was a possible option, the full plan and the details And to try to remember everything, especially when you may have an emotional reaction to some possibilities of what's being discussed, you're absolutely right. right. Have somebody else in there that can say, that can take notes or just remember or be the backup person to say, wait a minute, I thought I heard the doctor say this and she said that. And then you can say, well, that's not what I heard. And now you can get clarification. Yeah,
0: that sounds like one of our discussions,
2: Jeannie, remember? (laughs) Exactly. I was was like, no,
0: that's not what she said. (laughs) Because I learned this from my mom and then I learned this from Jeannie. Always have the book. I go in, if I'm playing the role of advocate, I always have a book because as much as I like to believe that I remember everything I hear, I don't. But I do write it down. I do take meticulous notes and then this way, we can then have that as a review. So when you go back, you can go back to and look at the notes, and that's always helpful. I have three sisters, and Jeannie helped one of my other sisters. Um, oh, by the way, full disclosure: if everyone hasn't figured out, Jeannie Austin is my sister. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yes. My <big> sister. <laughs> oh my and uh, um, you know, she, she uh, helped one of my other sisters through something. She went to a doctor, and the doctor was not was, the doctor was not the right doctor for my sister, um, right. Michelle, you know, she was not supportive, she was not saying the things that she needed to hear. And, you know, a, a lot of times when you are going through a major illness, because uh, I, I listened to this other podcast recently, recently that they were saying it's crap to tell people that you should look on the bright side when you're sick. But I understand that because it's, it, it when you're feeling fear, your fear is real and you shouldn't discount it, but having optimism is helpful Absolutely. and having a doctor that helps support that optimism, I believe is helpful. And I remember Jeannie was telling her, this doctor is not right for us. We're going to find a doctor that gives you the hope that you need, gives you the truth, but gives you a path toward hope. And then Jeannie worked with my sister Michelle to find a better doctor, and to see that relationship between the doctor and my sister, was uh, and, and hearing about the other doctor who might be right for somebody else was, was was quite amazing.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Her her total outlook changed. She did feel hope. She felt more comfortable there to go through treatments, and that makes such a difference. I always said that whenever you go to a doctor, and if they seem sort of upset or a little annoyed by your questions for me that's not the right right doctor for you because you, you, you're going to have to have questions every day once you leave that office you know you're one of many patients that the doctor has he's not just thinking about you all day and not that he doesn't care about you but that's just the facts you know always have questions you're thinking about what's good for you and when you go in there you have to have that discussion again with him sometimes you're going to repeat the same question and that should be okay. you know. And he'll say, okay, you, know, you can have a dialogue and talk. All the doctors that work with me right now, I'm comfortable with each and every one of them. When I, if you have a feeling like, here's an example, if you, if you know, like, oh, it's a doctor's appointment. If you start to feel a knot in your stomach that you're about to go see that doctor again, that's the wrong doctor. Every time I have an appointment, I go, I feel good. I can talk to the doctors. It just feels like, okay, another part of my treatment and everything's nice and easy and keep moving everything is good. So <clears throat> I think that is just so important to have um, a nice rapport with the doctor that, that you're seeing, As, especially for like, if you have something that's ongoing, that the, this is something you're going to be seeing uh, a doctor for many years.
0: One of the things I also thought was always very impressive about Eugene, and, and in terms of how you think of your health is that she would always tell me it's better to go to the doctor and find out You know, no one likes bad news, right? Right. No one likes bad news, especially if you've gone through, you know, you've climbed a mountain and you've gotten to the top and you're like, ooh, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm better. You got to keep going to the doctor and then because you still want to find out if something crops up because uh, taking care of it earlier is infinitely better than waiting because when your body is inflamed and starts Mm -hmm. talking to you. You've probably waited longer than you should have, which doesn't mean you won't be cured, but it just means the fight is harder. So um I, that's one of the things I always take to mind, and and she calls me all the time. Did you get your colonoscopy? Did you get your whatever? Did you? And, and I'm like, yes, yes, it's on my list. Yes, yes. You
1: know, so absolutely. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It, it's just from everything that I've gone through. And that was just a, a synopsis of some of the, you know, the lupus and the, the kidney. That was one part. There's some other things that happened because of the medication from, you know, that I've been taking and other things that happened along the way. But every single time it's been, when I have that feeling that, you know, they tell me, oh, this looks okay. But you're thinking something feels weird. It's not right. Uh, I'm just to say a quick story. I had fibroids. And when you have a kidney transplant, backtrack a little. You're you sort of reroute it the, the kidney is not in the back anymore. They place it in the front, the transplanted kidney, and they connect your ureter to that, and that's how it's done. So I was getting fibroids, and I kept feeling them getting bigger. I kept going to the doctor, and they were like, "Yeah, but we'll just keep waiting and measure it." I said, "Okay." A couple of months again. Well, it just seems a little bit bigger. We'll measure it. I'm like, hmm, I said, let me, let me see if I can get a second opinion. I went to another doctor. Uh, doctor didn't even examine me. He said, well, lots of women get them and you should be fine. I went back again, to see my gynecologist. I said, this doesn't feel right. And I told her that the doctor left, the other doctor with a second opinion didn't even examine me. She goes, we're going to take care of it. When they went into the operation, now I could have just kept on going and having it measured and they could have, there was this is going on for months. And then when they went in, one of the fibroids, they call it pedunculated, went outside of the uterus, and it went around the ureter connected to my transplanted kidney. It was bent. And they couldn't see that in the uh, sonograms. You know, they never saw it. They just saw the, the ones in the front. And after the operation, she said, if I didn't press this, if I didn't keep saying we need to have this, you know, an operation, get these fibroids out, they would have never seen that. And she said, that could have killed my transplanted kidney. And so there again, another example, that feeling inside I had, I'm looking at my stomach, I could feel the fibroid. in And I said, this is not right. Let's get this out. And, and I talked to women all the time who have fibroids and they're like, Yeah, I've had fibroids for this many years. I'm thinking, you know, it really shouldn't be there. You need to do something. Something has to happen. But, you know, because I said, they just don't stay inside the uterus. They sort of go out and attach to different organs and things. And now you have a way bigger problem. Once again, always, you know, if you feel something, gut feeling, and always try to go after everything early. You know what it feels like when you're feeling healthy. If you're not feeling that way, something's wrong and you need to get back to where that is. And whatever is causing that needs to be addressed.
0: So how do we, how do we help people understand the difference from, you know, going for your gut and when people are telling you you're a hypochondriac? How do you get through that journey to say, Hey, I need help. Is it just finding different doctors or what, what are
2: your thoughts to you? And then I'll ask uh, Jeannie the same question. So just like you can feel sometimes with your gut that something's wrong, you can also feel from a physician whether or not they respect you and are listening to you. And here's where I'm going to come down to everything that we talk about in the world right now. You need to look at the data and the facts. So even, Jeannie, when you were having issues before, that your labs were off, But they were still trying to, in some ways, say, yeah, but just get your iron up, just get your whatever. There was something wrong, and it's showing up in the data. So if you go to several doctors, and you've got something abnormal, and you can feel it, and they don't want to do anything about it, you are not a hypochondriac. So here's where I'll throw out my years of being around physicians and things are definitely better than they were 30 years ago. But a lot of times uh, there's a professional courtesy that they're not going to say anything opposite of your other doctor when you go to get your own second opinion because they don't wanna say that that other doctor did anything wrong even though behind the scenes, they're going to go, oh my God, I would never send my family member to that doctor. That doctor doesn't know this, that, or the other thing. So there's this code that was out there for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've got to kind of keep that in mind that when you're going for the second opinion, are the doctors in the same system or whatever? And they're not going to say, yes, I disagree with your doctor. You should have surgery right now. So That's something to consider. Now, if the doctor shows you that everything is normal and within normal ranges, and they're still talking to you and saying, everything we see, the ultrasounds are normal. The lab work is all normal. And there's one thing after another, after another, maybe you're ultra sensitive to everything in your environment, or there may not be Anything major wrong. It's just, uh, you know, depression sometimes can cause physical abnormalities that aren't going to show up in things. There could be other things going on, something in the environment that just makes you uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean you have cancer. That doesn't mean you have all these other terrible things that could be going on. Just because you get a headache doesn't mean you have a brain tumor. So it it is tough, but that's again, where you want to see the data, but if your data and your lab work and, and you don't feel that they've done all the lab work that they need comes back normal, then it might make sense. Okay. Let's see how you feel six weeks from now and give yourself some time. So just a thought with, with that.
1: You know, that's, and you're right. That's sort of very applicable to what's going on today. I have noticed that the first thing that happens every time you go into an office is they're going to do sort of a little triage there. They're going to take your blood pressure, they're going to check your temperature. They're going to check your weight to see if there's not a huge fluctuation. You know, are a lot of things that you can do at home and you see your blood pressure seems a little high today. And, and now it's very easy to get a, a cuff, very easy. When I first, my mother taught me how to do it manually, but now it's very easy. And if you see it's going up and down or it's really high, take those, you know, jot those notes down. Take your temperature, take your pulse, all that. You can bring that to the doctor. And that's really helpful. There again, facts. Then next thing, get labs. That's the only way they're going to find That's Like the first phase, they're going to find out what's happening on. Then the next one will be imaging. You know, sometimes and the doctors will tell you which imaging is best for certain things, what they can really see. If they're not seeing something, something off in the labs a little bit. And then, you know, they're like, well, okay, we can go further and we can see you know you can cover everything and then doing it early again
0: the other now, thing i would mention is when when they're when they're telling you what labs they're going to take one of the things i have started to do is ask them what that lab will tell you because they know the medicine behind it right they'll say you're getting this this and this and you're like well what does that check for because if there's something else that you're feeling, you may have, you may have to ask, like, is does this check for something wrong with my thyroid? Does this check for some, you know, sometimes you have to, and they'll tell you, or they'll say, well, uh, do you, are you feeling so-and-so maybe we'll check for that. But sometimes you have to ask because you kind of have to be inquisitive without being, cause that's the other thing you don't want your, you don't want to attack the, the physician. They're there to help you, but you mm-hmm. do have the right to ask questions and just, you know, to learn a little bit more about what these um, type of tests are and what they, what they um, check for.
2: Sorry, I'll add to that two things. One is that there's such a push now to make the patient their own, in control of their own care. So the more information a patient can get, that's a lot of what you'll see with New federal law, thing, but it's training for physicians as well. That they don't, it I mean, it used to be I'll just tell you what to do and do it, quit asking questions. But now you'll see more of a push along those lines. But I'll also add that when you're asking for certain studies in certain labs, your payers, your insurance company may not want to pay for it if you don't have certain signs and symptoms to support it. So I will throw out the other part is as you're pushing for some of this, keep in mind that it needs to be supported by your signs and symptoms or else your insurance company may deny it. Hmm. So that may be why physicians push back because a lot of times they can't bill the patient if it's denied and they know that it's not medically necessary by what they're seeing. So I'm just throwing that out to give the other side of the pressure that the physicians feel from the groups they may belong to with what's going on in society with payment, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I know at my current uh, physician uh, practice, the lab company is, The person that takes the labs is not actually an employee of the doctor they're an employee of the lab company and you go in there and the first thing they do is get your credit card because if that lab is not covered they will charge you and i know that because that's the first thing they do i'm like uh, the first time that happened i'm like what what do you you mean just just bill me with the rest of the they're like "No, no no we're not with this we're we're lab whatever and then they take the credit card so that that's that is an important part so thanks sue jeannie you had your personal journey and now um, you've taken on because and and when you were younger in your early 20s our mother played an important role but now so many years later you're you've kind of taken the role of helping mom with her health care. And so as an advocate of someone who was, you know, taking care of themselves, but now helping to take care of another, just a couple of quick points or action steps or tips that you would provide to others to how to, you know, how to be a, a good patient advocate for a family member or a friend or whoever.
1: Oh, yeah. Mostly very similar to what you still do for yourself. I make sure that, you know, or make sure that um, all their appointments or every, all the appointments they need to go to, you're on schedule with that, you know, and you're going to be there in uh, all the appointments. I'm usually sitting there and asking the doctor a couple of questions or I'll ask uh, for myself, I'll ask my mother, how do you feel? Okay, we'll ask the doctor about this. And... We'll go over any of the things that she needs, but it's mostly staying up with all the um, vaccinations. Very important at a certain age that they have all their vaccinations are up to date because things like the flu and pneumonia can be really serious. So I make sure all the appointments are on time. Always checking to see how she's feeling, making sure that, you know, as far as exercise, nutrition, all these things. And uh, yeah, just being very current very, very current and aware of everything and their needs, their special needs at that point in that, that season of their life.
0: So Sue, what do you do if you don't have a family member or you don't have a great friend? Are there options for patient advocacy that you know of as a healthcare person that could fill in the blanks? And, and is that an extra cost or does insurance, do you know anything about that? Any thoughts?
2: I have seen some organizations that will offer a patient advocate if people are asking for it. Some do and some don't, some charge and some don't. So at this point, if there's some companies that may do it and that type of thing, of course they need to make money to be able to survive. So there might be a charge with that. But what I would do is just start out asking the organization that your physician is part of whether or not they have a patient advocacy program because there are I've seen in some organizations where they have some volunteers that are willing to talk to patients and to kind of help them through that they all have a patient rights kind of people that might be able to help And that's where you may go to if you have a complaint, if you have a concern about your provider, that type of thing. So they may know at least some things that they're able to do as part of that. Just ask.
0: If you had to give someone three tips, Jeannie, like just three to say to get started and, and, you know, you, you want to become more in charge of your health experience, what would you say those three tips are? And I think you kind of mentioned it at first, but I was wondering if there's any other, you know, tips that you would say, start here. I have my Um, thoughts.
1: (laughs) Oh, okay. Definitely. First tip, you know, the inner voice, you know, the, you know, if something doesn't feel right, you know, it, you know what you feel like when you're feeling good and healthy, you know, stay on that. Just don't let it go. Second, for everyone, I think everyone should have a blood, care, a blood pressure cuff. And now they have the great, the way to take your temperature through your forehead, ears makes it so much easier. Keep track of that. Yeah, you know, even when you're looking for a doctor, if you go in and you feel uncomfortable, you don't have to stay there. You, you can always leave. Don't feel committed to stay there because you need to feel comfortable asking questions and really talking or asking. I don't understand what this lab means. Even if you looked it up online, because everybody looks up everything online, and if they're able to say, sure, sure, sure. And they're fine about asking the questions. That's also really, really good.
0: Okay, so we said blood pressure cuff, listen Mm -hmm. to your gut and find a doctor or doctors that you are comfortable with. And it's okay to leave a
2: doctor if you're not.
0: So those Mm -hmm. are good.
2: Any thoughts, uh, Sue? No, I totally agree with those. Remember, it's okay to fire a doctor. That's yes. <laughs> okay to do. And, uh, you know, you know the difference between having anxiety about going to the doctor versus how you feel with that person you're talking to. So, absolutely. And I love the part about having some of that stuff at home. Keep in mind, people, though, that if you take your blood pressure at home and it's 130 over 110 once, you don't need to freak out and go to the emergency room. It could that you're really stressed or really nervous at that moment. So just throwing that out. So what you're looking at is exactly what Jeannie talked about before is keeping that log. So the physician can see here's how it is over time. You know, here's what's been going on for the last several days. Here's what's, what's happening. So, but yeah, brilliant. And thank you so much for sharing. And I'm going to say, I don't think it would hurt if Jeannie wants to come back. We could go into more detail about how to help family members and be an advocate for family members and what you're looking at. Because especially nowadays, like I've seen so many people in my life lately that have gotten shingles. Yeah. People don't think about getting that vaccination, but man, I'm thinking about it yeah
0: I really want to dive in a little bit more about how to help others and I, I always talk about a notebook so yeah let's definitely get back together so yes let's uh let's schedule a follow up sorry Jeannie you're locked in we're not asking <laughs> of, uh, you what to come back that's right that's right those are the perks so uh thanks everyone and uh, we'll talk to you all soon uh thank
1: you hey, great.
0: thanks for joining us for another great episode of talking about PHI to hear past episodes or to leave comments or learn more visit us at www.cvstrategicmarketing.com until next time